welcome to Women Making Moves, where we are celebrating the moves that women are making. <laughs> this is Amy Pons. I'm a master certified life coach and your host for today. And I am so excited to kick this off our very first episode. Uh, I am here today with Michaela Bedard, an experienced community political and nonprofit leader with a demonstrated history of organizing, fundraising, advocacy, and coalition building. Michaela, in addition to her work at Period, which I'll talk about in one moment, is also a mom to two school-age kids being raised to be activists in their hometown of Portland, Oregon. Yes! Michaela is the executive director of Period. It's a global youth-powered nonprofit that strives to end period poverty and stigma through advocacy, education, and service. Period equips and trains youth leaders with the tools and resources needed to end period poverty in their lifetime. Snap, 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 snap. And one more key piece for today, May 28th, 2023. Today is Menstrual Hygiene Day. Hey, so excited. And as I share with Michaela before we got on, I am celebrating today by having my period. So kudos, 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 snaps. So Michaela, welcome. And uh, why don't we kick off a little bit with how are you celebrating Menstrual Hygiene Day? And what is Menstrual Hygiene Day? Hi, Amy. Thank you so much (laughs) for having me and for talking about periods today. Um, Yes, today is Menstrual Hygiene Day, which is really excited. Um, It's often known as MHD because a lot of people call it Menstrual Health Day, and we can get into that, why it's probably a more appropriate term to call it Menstrual Health instead of Menstrual Hygiene Day. Um, Menstrual Health Day was started about 10 years ago by an organization that's actually out of Berlin called Wash You, and they do a lot of work in the water and sanitation sector and came up with this day because we needed a global day of advocacy for everyone working in the menstrual health and menstrual equity space, and it has really taken off. Um, The organization Wash You is just an incredible collaborator with organizations like Period around the world. The theme for this year is We Are Committed. So organizations like Period talk about our commitments to end period poverty. Um, Here at Period, we believe that we can end period poverty in our lifetimes. And so maybe we can talk a little bit about how we want to do that today. Um, But today is a great day. So I am celebrating by having conversations like this all day, getting to talk to young people in period chapters around the world about how they are celebrating Today in Honduras and Guatemala and India and Macedonia, there are period chapters having educational events and rallies for menstrual equity. So it's a huge day. We are really excited to celebrate. That's amazing. And I'm curious already, based on what you just said about health versus hygiene, this is something that bothered me um, a few years ago. And I'll tell you a story uh, about my last corporate experience, but it did kind of bug me when people said feminine hygiene products, it suggests, is it, is it about the, um, when you say hygiene versus health, it's like hygiene suggests that it, your might, might be unhygienic if you, is That's that exactly something? right. Well, and, and hygiene has a lot of social, cultural, religious, and privileged context to it, right? So hygiene is subjective. What might be hygienic to one person may be unhygienic to another person. And we just fundamentally believe that any pe- person who menstruates should have the ability to manage their menstruation in whatever way they want. And so to be just the most equitable and understanding to the many relationships and traditions that people have around their periods, it's more appropriate to say menstrual health. Perfect. Perfect. I love that. Menstrual health. It's menstrual health day. Y'all, you heard it here. 
So what is the, what is uh, overall period poverty? How would you define that? Thank you for asking. Period poverty does have a real definition. And I think we need to talk about that because sometimes period poverty, for those of us that have heard about it, can be kind of bandied about as a term. Period poverty means that it is the lack of access to the products required to manage one's period and the education around periods and menstrual health that is required for someone to fully understand and manage their period. So a lot of people talk about period poverty as someone who can't afford pads or tampons, and that is a large part of it. But it also reflects a dearth of knowledge that we have around our own anatomy often, um, our own knowledge about what's happening before our first period happens, and then how to advocate for our own menstrual health if and when something goes wrong. Um, and so where, because there's so much historical stigma and taboo around this topic, it has been largely unaddressed. And it is something that over half the world's population experiences. So it's about time we made it more common knowledge. So we're, if you were to share, and one of those things that is popping up for me right now as it relates to the definition you just shared was um, something in, in my most recent corporate world that was happening. Um, I was the leader of our women's ERG, employee resource group. And one of my, you know, my team got together one day and we said, what's, what's like a, a good small, small but mighty win that we could kind of work on for this year. And one of the amazing ideas that one of uh, my leaders had was, Hey, do you know those 25 cent crank machines in the bathrooms that um, give you pads or tampons? Can we make those free? And it was kind of a mic drop moment because it was like, oh my gosh, why, <laughs> why did that, why, why do we still have those? And does, first of all, does anyone ever have a quarter? Second of all, I think it's created like that kind of a tiny but important barrier, especially as we go into like digital currency. The likelihood of having a quarter, again, it's a barrier for women to get something that they might need for their menstrual health. And it's kind of conditioned women to always have something on them because how many times have we helped each other in those moments where like, hey, do you have a tampon, do you have a pad? Um, and so anyway, when we got to, we, we all thought this was an amazing idea and we raised it to some of the women leaders in the C-suite. They have their own executive bathrooms. And when we share this with them, they're like, they are free. No, they weren't. They were free in the executive bathrooms, not in the bathrooms where the the general public of the company uh, used them. So they actually had no idea that these 25% machines still existed. I mean, there's so many things to comment on the story. You just told, first of all, <laughs> congratulations on getting them free. I assume that's how it worked. Okay, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so huge, huge congratulations on that, because in the majority of workplaces, that is not the case. They are not free. And I think you're right. We have conditioned ourselves to think that we have to pay for them as though they are some kind of extra consumer or luxury item where we would never assume that we would have to pay for toilet paper. And so that's something that we need to uncondition ourselves from. The second thing is that isn't it incredible that the people who are most privileged in your company got it for free. I think that is a reflection on our society at large, where the people that have the most access, the most privilege, the, the people from the most historically dominant cultures and backgrounds tend to get more stuff for free. Whereas people who are maybe working a living wage, hopefully the company you work for paid fair and living wages, um, are, are struggling and have to make ends meet with all of these extra things. Um, so kudos to you for getting that um, free in your bathroom. But I think that really touches on what I'm talking about when I talk about period poverty. So here are the numbers. Here's the unpopular truth. Period poverty mostly affects women, of course. So 
who are women. Uh, the majority of women are unmarried or divorced. Uh, the majority of families living in poverty are led by a single parent household who tend to be women. The majority of people who rely on government assistance, food stamps, right, SNAP, WIC, or TANF programs, women. And so when you see that women make up the majority of people living in poverty or run the majority of households are living in poverty, that's who's affected by period poverty. Nearly one in four United States students cannot access or afford period products. I'm going to say that again. Nearly 25% of all United States students cannot access or afford period products. Well, why is that? Because they're often not free in schools or other public places where children living in poverty interact. They're often not free in libraries, shelters, courthouses, community centers, schools, and let's take it one step further, jails or prisons. So when people interact with our government, they are unlikely to see period products for free. In addition, speaking to the conditioning that you've been talking about, 22 United States still tax menstrual products as luxury goods. So we come from a place of thinking, this is an extra essential that I need to buy that not everyone needs to buy. And so we pay more for it, states tax more for it, when we have to understand it's just as simple and necessary as toilet paper. And so period is on a mission to end these systemic reasons for period poverty. Um, we need to repeal the tax in the remaining 22 states. We need to mandate that every school in America provides period products for free so that no student is going to miss out on their education because of a simple lack of access to essential goods. And we need to make sure that the government includes period products and their social safety net. Over half of Americans experience menstruation. And yet, if you rely on SNAP or WIC, you're unable to purchase period products with those programs. I'm still stuck on the one on four. One in four yeah. students do not. And you know what's interesting? Based on what you're saying, too, one of the main arguments that was coming back to me when I wanted the free products worldwide is that, well, I mean, the, what the leaders at the time were worried about was hoarding. Or like someone kind of got, grabbing them all up. You know, I said, you know what? Let's take a moment to be human for a second. Yeah. If there is an employee that feels they need to gather up all of the current stock that we have um, of pads and tampons, I really hope we are helping them with a really kind of um, let's let's take that off their problem of the day or the week. You know, like let's, that's great. Like, let's check that off. We've helped in some kind of way, but why would that be the go-to? I think that is the go-to argument against any free product anywhere. I have heard this for years, even not just period products. Oh, if we give them free cookies, they're all going to take a million free cookies, right? I agree. Okay, well, they, they well, awesome. Right, right. Well, first of all, who cares if they take cookies, but second of all, period products aren't cookies. So you, you literally can't use period products for any other use than managing their period. So if they hoard period products, fine. It means they can't access them anywhere else. Let them take them. Um, also, the more and more years that we've been doing this work, the data just doesn't bear out that fear. We are just not seeing that students or employees anywhere are hoarding them. Um, it really is a sliver of the cost of providing paper towels or toilet paper. So it's nice to have that data to back up what we've always thought, which is that people really aren't 
reporting this. It's not a concern. Um, the data just doesn't show that. The data also shows that students and employees want this for free. They want to be able to talk to their teachers and employers about this. They want to have access to this. They want this easily accessible. They just don't want this to be an issue in the workplace and in schools anymore. No, and forget the days of, um, you know, putting a tampon up your sleeve, you know, on the way to the bathroom. It's like, can we just say that we're bleeding in a really ha- like healthy, natural, amazing way? Period. Like, I no, love that. Period. <laughs> totally. I love that, April. I think what you're talking about there is the stigma, right? The taboo of it that we used to walk around with and hidden up our sleeves. Right. That really fuels all of this. Yes. Right. If this was toilet paper, there's for whatever reason, I think we'd be able to talk about that more. There's so much historical fear and taboo around women's bodies that even ourselves, we've bought into this and hid things up our sleeves. The good news here, though, is that I am seeing that start to change. So period is a global movement and is growing because we are so youth powered. Period has over 400 local volunteer period chapters in communities around the world, almost all of them are led by students in middle school, high school, college, or young professionals. This is a youth-driven movement where they want to change this. They see the stigma, they see the inequity of it, they want to start talking about it. They have a lot of period pride that I think I'm outing myself as an elder millennial, but my generation and olders and older generations didn't have. So I think the tide is turning, but the people who are in positions of power are older. And they're still not ready to have these conversations. So we need to keep pushing them. Um, So like what you did in your workplace and what more and more schools are doing when they're responding to the students' request for period products. We need to support this title change so that in our lifetime, we see it go away. Beautiful, beautiful. I really resonate. I'm also a millennial. And um, what I started to do toward the end and the younger, I noticed the younger women were like, yes, queen. I would literally carry around with my laptop around the corporate office, like with my little tampon pack, like on top. And I was not ashamed. I was like, yeah, I'm on my period. My vagina is, my uterus is bleeding and I have something here in case I need it. Like, like, again, I'm going to say like pun period, period. I love that so much. Well, don't we all know of that one person in the office or that one teacher that was like the one you could go to? If you needed a tampon or a pad that was always kind of cool and that understood, that's awesome. And those have been heroes in the past, but let's let's do away with that and make sure that everyone is as comfortable as those individuals were. I like to um I like to make people super uncomfortable in places where they're limited. I like, let me help, let me help you expand with love, right? Let right. Tampon. Um, so we've talked about period poverty, we've talked about some of the things that are unfortunately kind of historically and still kind of stuck. Um, what would you say the current state of the union, if you if you will, is on menstruation? Because one of the things that I've personally felt pretty ragey about recently is the potential ban in states like Florida on the fact that we can't talk about menstruation um, in certain key years or, you know, um, pivotal moments in a young girl, young person's life who menstruates. We can't talk about it. Like that's proposed on the table. Wow. Um, help me be okay with that. Or like, what should I be thinking about? Cause it, it's kind of stressful, really stressful. There's nothing I can say that's going to make you okay with it. It's a really frightening prospect that we are seeing more and more states, both pass like in Florida and also okay. propose. Um, in, in other states that we should limit the ability to talk about bodies, bodies, gender, and sexual health in schools. Um, 
there's two things here. First, to answer your question about the state of the union on periods, I love that you had that language because we always call it the state of the period. So every oh. year we have what's called the state of the period. Yeah, write that down. We do, yeah, we do every fall and we also do a, um, every two years, we have a national study on period poverty among students in the United States. Uh, we're going to have our third one come out this fall. The first one came out in 2019, second state of the period study in 2021, and the third one here in 2023, that's where I got that one in four number about students struggling with period poverty that came from that study. So happy to talk to you about the state of the period. Unfortunately, I would say that the state of the period is not strong. Uh, the majority of schools in this country don't provide period products. Like I said, our government does not include menstruation as one of those essential needs that is covered for the most part by government assistance programs. However, the forecast for ending period poverty and promoting menstrual equity is strong. And I think that we're seeing that in some of these states that are introducing bans on talking about bodies and gender and sexual health. I think it's because they're frightened by this movement. They're frightened by a young generation who is unabashedly asking questions about their body, their anatomy, and advocating for themselves and their needs in school and workplaces. That frightens people. And as a reaction to that, we see some of these more hardline laws get proposed and passed. It is a difficult situation, but it means that what we're fighting for is probably on the right track. You know, over the course of human history, the things that young people have advocated for are generally the right side of history. It is an honor for me to be able to work in this intergenerational movement and follow the lead of young people that are pushing for this. It is very difficult for us to work in states that have proposed and passed some of these hardline rules, and yet it's the right thing to do. I'm hoping that at the end of my lifetime, I can look back and say, wow, remember when period products weren't available in schools and public places? Isn't that just an insane thing? And I, I hope that when my kids grow up, it will be a distant memory. I really hope so too. And I, you know, it's this, this balance because I do truly hear you that, you know, the, the kind of what rises for me inside my body is like this kind of boiling, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening, but it's also balanced with like, um, we've always had these types of challenges throughout life. And we do, um, we've seen so much progress. I think what I'm feeling is that over the past three to five years, especially, it feels like we've like for um, people who identify as women, we've just taken a huge step back and now we're seeing it with other types of humans. And so that's what just kind of gets me, um, gets me discouraged. However, to your point with organizations like period, that's what gives me hope that we are moving toward the right direction. Did you say that some have actually passed that ban on conversations around periods? The bill in Florida has been passed by, yes, has been passed by both the Florida House and Senate and signed by Governor DeSantis. Um, it, the text of the bill, um, limits any discussion before eighth grade about bodies, gender, and sexual health. Um, it is very fresh. It's just been passed. What we're working on in Florida is to interrogate what it really means. Um, because at the same time, in that same week, the Florida House and Senate passed a bill to authorize period products to be provided in schools. Now, not mandated, simply authorized, meaning simply giving permission to have period products provided in schools, which means that it's not funded, it's not mandated, but we did see them actually talk about student menstruation at the same week that they passed this. And so 
Um, all of this goes into effect in midsummer 2023 and period will be there to figure out exactly what this means and to support students through it. Um, our East Coast office is in Miami, so we do a lot of work there and we need to see what this means for our work. Um, and how can our office be a safe space for Florida students and Miami students to come chat about their periods if they need it? So Florida passed a saying we're going to provide, well, potentially we're going to provide these products, but we can't talk about it. That's ultimately what's happening. Well, they're saying that the schools are authorized to provide products, which begs the question of before were they not authorized? I don't know. (laughs) But, but I have, but it's a win, right? Anytime that we see state legislatures talk about period products in schools, it's a win because it brings a conversation forward. And just to kind of, tie this up when, when we talk about these hardline policies. Again, the data just doesn't support these fears. These policies that say children can't talk about their bodies, their reproductive health, their gender, the data doesn't support that. Our state of the period studies show that the majority of young people want period products in schools, want their schools to educate them about their bodies, Uh, We had one that said that 76% of all respondents knew more about the anatomy of a frog than the anatomy of a human woman. The majority of students have either misclassed or know someone that's misclassed due to bleeding. So the data shows that young people want this. So this is schools and districts and states not being responsive, right, Mm -hmm. to what students need. And another thing I just want to say, because I have the chance here, there's a lot of fear out there around non-household caregivers talking about periods and reproductive health to students. I hear the argument from parents saying it's a parent's job. It's not a school's job. I totally agree with that. As a parent myself, it has been an honor for me to teach my kids about this. We are not necessarily talking about the students that are getting comprehensive education at home. We're talking about the students who don't. Upwards of 30% of all people in this country, when they get their periods, don't know what it is. Think that they are hurt or injured or that something bad is happening to them. So we're talking about kids that don't have this understanding and education about their bodies. That is absolutely the role of educators in schools and school nurses and counselors and people that work at schools. So when, when, when I hear that argument about parents saying, I don't want someone else talking to my kid about it, I don't think that we're worried about your child then, if you're already doing that good job, right? We're worried about the child who all of a sudden finds himself bleeding and doesn't know who to talk to at their school because they don't know what's happening. And they need to have a safe teacher or class to be able to go to, to talk about this. At period, we spend a lot of time working with school nurses. School nurses are at the front lines of period poverty in this country because they see it all the time, right? And hearing the stories from them about the help that students need, the questions that students have when they come into their office, and how nurses need to be able to equip them with basic facts about what's happening to their body, that it's healthy, that it's okay. What should the normal feeling be? What should the red flags be about, you know, heavy bleeding or too heavy cramps? That is just basic education that empowers people to make them healthier. Um, and so that's what we want to lean into. I think um, for, for me, like when you talk about school nurses, I think that's such a beautiful term because there, I remember to this day, the school nurses that I had through school. And for some reason, there was an innate, there was innate, an innate trust with them. And um, primarily they were 
um, you know, older women from me when I was a young girl, young woman. And I think what I was learning when I, and I can think back to this as a young girl, a young woman, we were, we, as um, in, in, in my generation, we were taught, you know, we would say the words privates, we would say things like, so is there something along the lines of like the shame? Like we, we talk about stigma, but like, you can't, you, sh- you can't talk about it. It's, it's one thing between like, don't let anyone see or touch your privates. Like we're taught that as children, but like, wh- how does that translate into like a period? Because I'm not supposed to talk about quote unquote, my privates, but something's happening there. I think you're nailing it um, okay. because there's so much historical privacy and taboo around women's reproductive anatomy that we don't know how to talk about even the healthy functions of it. Mm-hmm. It's scary. It's difficult. And it is. I mean, I bet even some people who are listening to this podcast for the first couple of minutes were like, oh, we're going to talk about periods, right? You have that kind of moment of like, oh, like, oh, period. Oh, gosh. Yeah, oh, it's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but, you know, I do this all day, every day. I, I watch it all day, every day. After a couple of minutes, people kind of get over it. It's, right. it's because to your point, but like it, it's, um, you're so right. Like it, you do get that cringe moment, especially if it's someone who is, um, I don't know how to, I don't want to like put a stereotype out there, but like people who are so far from it that when you say the word period or bleeding from the uterus, like, oh, like that's a cringe moment. Well, it is. And in, in their defense, though, they've been conditioned to yeah. not interact with it. Right, 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 right. Right. And I think this is what I always say when people when people tell me, why aren't period products included in Snap and Wick? Why aren't they mandated as an essential good? Well, because the people who wrote those laws didn't have periods. Right. They honestly probably didn't even think about it. Right. They're not conditioned to have mm-hmm. thought about women's bodies and the needs that women and girls' bodies have. They're just not, right? They were literally unconditioned to think and talk about it. And so they don't know how. One of the heroes of this last year is a uh, white male Republican in Idaho who stood up and introduced a bill and um, stood in defense of it on the Idaho state floor um, to get period products in schools. And he was funny about it. He was sweet. He was endearing. He said, this is the right thing to do. And it was actually women in his party that stood up and said they didn't want to provide products in schools. So this is something that should be managed by the family, that this is something that women can take care of on their own. So when we talk about that conditioning, that is deep. Even people who menstruate themselves, it is deeply conditioned to manage this ourselves and to keep it private. And I think the more we can make people realize that it's not that scary to talk about, it's not that scary to parent through or to educate through, you just have to get past those first couple minutes and you can really help out a lot of kids. That's that's so beautiful. The work that period does is just, just exquisite to me and something that it's one of those things that I wish we didn't need, but I'm glad that we have you, (laughs) you know, that kind of like double-edged sword. Have you ever heard that? Um, So thank you so much, Michaela. I just have one last question to kind of wrap us up and you just nailed it. You just uh, spoke to it about the fact that um, I think there can be, there can be a, an assumption made that people who do not menstruate are the ones that are vehemently fighting it. You just gave a perfect, beautiful example in which because of the conditioning that people who have menstruated for their entire lives, though they're kind of older now, they've been taught so much to hide it, to be, um, you know, to be kind of, I don't know if it's scared about it, but be like, you know, that it's, they've thought it's gross or that it's dirty, things like that. They've been, they've been conditioned to feel that they were on the front lines actually fighting someone who didn't menstruate that was trying to advocate for periods and having different products in the school. So 
from your perspective and from period's perspective, how can those who menstruate, but also those who do not menstruate, help drive the mission of period and all of the other organizations that we really need that I'm so happy that we have um, in place to not only fight the stigma, but like, but in period poverty and all of the um, kind of the bad things that are happening, but also help usher in all the good things that are happening. What can both sides do without saying sides? That's probably a bad thing to say, but yeah, it's not sides, right? This should be an absolutely bipartisan full movement that all are welcome into. First of all, thank you for asking that question. The answer is just keep talking about periods. Just talk about periods. We're talking about periods in your workplace. Talk about periods with your family. Talk about it the way you talk about toilet paper. When you are entering a new community, a church community, a work community, a school community, just just ask around. Do we provide period products here? I just want to make sure we provide period products here. It's something that helps people be welcome. It's some something that helps people do their best work, helps people, you know, get educated in the best way. So just talk about it. And secondly, support organizations like Period and other grassroots organizations around the world doing this work. Um, we have three main programs to do this work. You know, we talked a lot about our advocacy programs where we work to help draft and pass this legislation uh, to repeal the tampon tax in remaining states and get products in schools. But we also do a lot of menstrual health education, curriculum building and curriculum dissemination through our chapters, but also through school nurses and educators we work with. Um, but thirdly, direct service. Um, periods aren't going to stop while we fight this long game. And so period distributes millions of pieces of period products annually to people in need. So support organizations like period. Go to period.org and support us either financially or with product. And there's a lot of grassroots organizations like period in communities um, around the country and world that we work with. Um, so support this movement. We want to put ourselves out of business. Uh, we we want to make these policies pass at a systemic level so that we don't have to worry about this anymore. And then the last thing I would say is if you're already involved in some kind of a local community nonprofit that provides basic needs. So a shelter, a food pantry, a kitchen that cooks for people in need, ask them if they need period products. I think we forget to donate those products. We're really good at donating canned goods. <laughs> More recently, people are good at donating socks. I think we kind of, we had a moment where people realized that people in need, need socks. Um, ask about period products. Um, and if you don't, uh, know a local organization in need that serves people, donate period products or funding to period because that's what we do. We send out products in bulk to grassroots organizations around the world who serve their communities in need product. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, again, Michaela Bedard with Period, Executive Director of Period, helping the nation and the world help end period poverty. You just heard Michaela say many ways to get involved. So at the very least, go to period.org and support either monetarily or via products. Also, look for a local chapter or um, to Michaela's point, there are organizations. Thankfully, we need thousands more people to get involved. So thankfully, there's period and a lot of other organizations that you can get involved in to make sure that we're helping not only this movement, but this natural, biological, beautiful thing that happened to women and people who menstruate. So happy Menstruation Health Day. We're changing it here. Happy Menstruation Health Day. We are so happy to have you. Again, this is Amy Pons and Michaela Bedard, the very first episode of Women Making Moves, where we celebrate the moves that women are making. Again, thank you so much, Amy. This was so fun. 
Yes, I'm so happy. Find period at period.org. Michaela, any other ways to contact you or period that you'd like to share? You can reach me at Michaela at period.org. Happy to chat. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a beautiful menstruation health day. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you.